you for taking time to listen to this sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church and of our campus in Lexington, Kentucky. It is our prayer that as you listen today, you will be encouraged, challenged, and equipped to be all God has for you. We invite you to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 11 o'clock a.m. at our Todd's Road campus near the Hamburg area of Lexington. I'm going to use the third verse of our prayer hymn today as our prayer before I preach. I just, as we sang those words, that just seemed so fitting, so let us pray. Come, Holy Spirit, aid us to keep the vows we make. This very day invade us and every bondage break. Come give our lives direction, the gift we covet most, to share the resurrection that leads to Pentecost. Amen. I'm always excited when I get to preach the Sunday after Epiphany or around Epiphany because I get to share my favorite trivia fact with you. I shared it with you last year, but no one ever listens to the sermon, so I can share it again. (laughs) Now, I do it because I care about you, and I want you to grow in your biblical knowledge. Sometime on Jeopardy, they might ask the question, what were the three wise men's jobs? You might be quick to answer magi, but that isn't the whole answer. They were really firefighters. Don't let those fancy Christmas pageant outfits fool you. They were firefighters. The Bible said they came from afar. (laughs) See, Ryan, it still gets laughs. You told me to retire it, but... You can't please everybody. See, Marilyn, I haven't grown up. Marilyn told me yesterday I looked like I was 14. I told her she should have seen me when I was 14. (laughs) I wouldn't say I've ever grown up, but... But as I was, we'll say, getting older as a child, I had a shared parenting schedule, if you will, between one of the Baptist churches in my small hometown where I grew up and the United Methodist Church where my grandfather was the pastor. You can see which parent, which church won out. However, this wasn't any Baptist church. This was the Free Will Baptist Church of our community. It had the largest youth group and the largest children's program, We even had a gym. That's like the criteria to be a church. There were multiple teachers who went to this church that had a great influence in the life of the kids in our school. It was the church you wanted to be a part of. We took pride in connection. My Sunday school teacher in elementary was married to my grandpa's best friend from high school. My high school Sunday school teacher had also been my mom's Sunday school teacher. They knew everything about your life, everything. They knew your parents, they knew your grandparents, they knew your third cousin twice removed, which I still don't know what that means. They were everywhere. And you always, as my grandma Ruth would say, acted like you knew something, because if you didn't, someone would see and they would tell on you. They had what every church strives to have, though. They had connection. I still get cards and notes from both of those Sunday school teachers. I loved so much about that church, but there were some things that I had to work out for myself later in life. The fact is, they were a free will Baptist church with many strong core beliefs. We were one of many free will Baptist churches in the area, but we held pride that we were by far the largest. 
I mean, we held the state title at the Free Will Baptist Youth Convention for first place in the puppet skit category. We were a big deal. We were just one of three sects of the Baptist denomination in our very small village. We were a village not even big enough to be called a town. To give you a little church history, the Baptists earned their name over a separation regarding baptism and the way believers joined the church. Most of the church at the time believed a different form of baptism than did a sect of Christian believers who later broke off to form this new denomination. The Free Will Baptist eventually joined the scene as a group who believed that it was up to an individual to join the Christian faith on their own, their own free will, and then it was up to them to stay in God's good graces. You had to live a very set-apart life, regardless of how a person grew up or what the person accepted, they had to make a decision after what they called the age of accountability, we'll say about fourth or fifth grade, to change their life and make a public profession to follow Christ, a time when you now were old enough to take responsibility for your own actions. Then they would be baptized as a public profession of their faith. It was and is a choice of letting everyone know someone is a believer and is choosing a life of following Christ. In the United Methodist Church, we go about it a little bit different. In the Baptist Church, you might be baptized three times, hoping that the last one would stick after you previously messed up. In the Methodist Church, we believe one will do you, because God's grace doesn't need a redo. I love that. We believe that God's grace doesn't need a redo. We might fail, but God doesn't. We say it in our communion liturgy each week when our love failed. His love remains steadfast. We baptize infants because we believe that God's grace covers regardless of what we choose. We show that God's grace is given unconditionally, and then we allow our children to confirm their faith during confirmation. Now going back to the Free Will Baptist Church, in their church you're baptized in pools, in lakes, in streams, Submersion was what it took, and anything less wasn't baptism. We heard magical stories of how someone went under the water and came out with a new feeling. They felt warm, they felt whole, they felt new. I won't lie in saying that wasn't my experience. I'm sure many remember their story of their baptism, and if you don't, someone does. There are many feelings that come with this holy experience. Look at an infant baptism, for example. You sometimes have a calm and happy baby who looks up with quiet fascination, maybe even a smile or a coo, or you get an infant who screams in holy terror, wondering why this stranger is pouring water over their head. Now, the church where I grew up had what is called a baptistry behind the church building. While young, it was a small step-down pool of water, if you will. You walked through the back grassy area down the steps and into a small pool that had just enough room for you, the preacher and the deacon to stand and deep enough for you to be dunked. It had a cover that went over the top of it with wheels to roll it on and off. But by being at the foot of a hill in the woods, it wasn't unusual to open it up and find snakes and rodents in it before use. And the adults had no guilt as using this as a reason to tell kids to stay away from it. Regardless of rodents and snakes, I loved growing up in that church, and I have many fantastic memories there. I will forever be thankful for the ways that they invested 
in me, and they taught me scripture the best way they knew how. So many of my biggest life events and choices happened in that church. One Sunday on December 18, 2005, as a 10-year-old child, I went to the kneeling rails after the sermon during what we called the altar call. I was in fifth grade. I had never done anything terribly wrong in my life. How, could, how bad could a 10-year-old be? Maybe I had stolen a cookie or two from the cookie jar, but that was it. I didn't have a dramatic conversion experience. All I knew was in that moment, a God who would send me to heaven sounded a lot better than going to hell. I chose to follow God through my whole life in that moment, strictly because I was afraid, and I didn't want the alternative. That very Sunday after I had gone to the altar, our pastor talked to me about the need to be baptized. The date was set for February. Thankfully, by that time, though, we had built the new gymnasium and the fellowship hall. The new building covered the baptistry that was, so it was now in the building. There was a trap door in the bottom of the gym floor that pulled up and then would expose the same baptistry that had been used for decades. Before the building, it was treated like you might treat a family swimming pool. The water was left in, cleaned, and shocked with chemicals like you would a pool. My baptism Sunday was the first baptism in the new building. The baptistry had been drained before construction and filled up that morning with the hope that a new heater they had bought to stick in would warm the water. It didn't. The heater they purchased didn't work that Sunday in February. It was freezing and it was miserable. All my, all my family had come to watch this special moment in my life. I walked down into the water, debating with every step to turn and run back out. But I walked down, held my breath, was dunked. I immediately came up out of the water, turned the steps, and ran out. They liked to joke that United Methodists just pour water over your head. And I said, sign me up, I'll go with those guys. <laughs> my baptism experience wasn't the best. I didn't have the warm and fuzzy feeling, but I made the act to be baptized. Just as so many in this room have been, whether in a pool, a pond, a tank, or as a child at the altar like ours. The baptism means the same. It covers our life in the same way. It's God's grace covering over us. It initiates a relationship and a covenant with God and with God's people. I embraced God in that church as a child because he was going to save me from an afterlife. I loved God after because I learned that he truly, without boundaries and conditions, loved me. I fell in love with God once I realized who he was and who he claimed me as. He claimed me as his child, as one whom he marked as, his given, as one as his, given life through water and brought into a new covenant with him. So here we are in this gospel text, seeing Jesus take this same step, going to the waters of baptism to begin his ministry among God's people, going to the water. There's something about water. There's a study that was conducted that suggests if you take a beautiful landscape painting and you add water to it, it will more likely be purchased at a higher price. We love water. When I go to the beach, I love to just sit with my eyes closed and listen to the calming waves come up on the shore. Our bodies are made of water. We're told we need to drink so much water to be healthy. We are nurtured into life through the water of the womb, 
Jesus' ministry so often happened around water. Jesus goes into the water and down into the river to John the Baptist, who was baptizing others. John was the one who was sent before him to proclaim that the Messiah was coming. And he advocated that Jesus was the Messiah. The man has come and lived his whole life to prepare the way for someone else. Jesus, reluctantly to John's judgment, takes on a servant spirit and is baptized by John, a true model of servant leadership. Jesus is covered in the same way and in the same water as everyone else that day. We all know the story of what happens next. A dove comes out of heaven. I love our stained glass window. And in it, we see many icons and and images that tell a story that have great meaning. There's a lot to it, but very visibly, we see the cross, we see the crown, and we see the dove, the Holy Spirit descending. The dove comes down, and God's audible voice is heard saying, this is my beloved son, whom I am well pleased. Our translation today says, my son, whom I dearly love. Jesus, after being baptized, has his identity audibly reaffirmed to everyone else, the much-loved child of the Most High God. God tells everyone there, and it's recorded for all of eternity to read. Nothing else mattered. He was a beloved child of God. That was his identity. Through our baptism, we take on a new calling, washed by the same waters of baptism as Christ himself. We share in this new reality of becoming a part of God's chosen people. At our baptism, might I suggest that God says the same to us. You are my child, my beloved, the one whom I love very much. Hard stop, period. No more to add, no more to be said. God's beloved child. Our New Testament reading this morning had Peter saying that he was learning that God doesn't show partiality to one group of people over another. Rather, in every nation, whoever worships him and does what is right and acceptable to him, this is the message of peace he sent to the Israelites by proclaiming the good news through Jesus Christ that he is the Lord of all. We've been given God's grace as we declare in our liturgy without cost, void of what we do to earn it. We... You, me, we are God's beloved. When we mess up, we are God's much-loved child. He waits for us. He forgives us. No matter what we've done, God's grace covers us. Don't get me wrong. We make a commitment to repent of our sins, to resist evil, to resist injustice, to resist oppression, to resist the oppression of God's much-loved children, and we as a society and as a people have failed at that for far too long. In our world, in our society, we like to always place man-made labels on other people. Sometimes we take pride in them and assign them to ourselves, yet other times they're forced on people for our own hierarchy or pecking order. Identities such as black or white, male or female, Democrat or Republican, employed or unemployed, parent or childless, rich, middle class or poor, single or married, newly a believer or a believer your whole life. God says through our baptism, child, the other titles placed on you mean nothing, for you are my much-loved child. 
my beloved. No one else has a say. When you look at the person across from you who you disagree with, they are a beloved child of God. Though we may share different ideas on different topics, we are all God's much-loved children, and we can grow and benefit by working together, by sharing ideas together, and by growing together. We have all shared one baptism. We all take of one communion. God's love is the same for everyone. Whether you think you've done something so wrong that God could never love you, or you have been a saint your whole life, God's grace is the same and here for all. I've said it before, but Judas was served the same communion that we will partake of in a minute. A man who did something that we all cannot fathom. If there is a person who has done something so wrong towards someone, it was him. Yet Jesus knew, and he still offered his grace and love. There is nothing you have done that God will not forgive, and nothing that will keep his love from you. If we fast forward in the story, John the Baptist eventually ends up in prison. In what I can only assume with my holy imagination, in his grief and in his lament, he begins to question. I've done all this work to prepare the way. I've done my part, and I should still be out there doing my part. He begins to question whether Jesus is really the Messiah. He sends his followers to ask Jesus if he's the one or if they should still be looking. This man who baptized Jesus saw with his own eyes the dove descend as the Holy Spirit and heard with his own ears God's audible voice, questions in the moment of despair. He questions Jesus, his authority and his authenticity. You and I can be quick to judge and say, John, what are you doing? Are you kidding me? But not Jesus. Jesus simply tells his followers to go back to tell John of all the miraculous things they have seen God do through Christ so that John can regain his faith. Jesus didn't disown John because of his doubts. He did the opposite. He showed him all he could and was doing. Some think of Jesus' words here as maybe being annoyed or quick-tempered, but I read them with love and with patience. Go. Go and tell John what you have heard and what you have seen. Tell him that the blind now see. Tell him that the lame now walk. Tell him that the lepers are cured. Tell him the deaf now hear. Tell him that the dead have been raised to life. Tell him that the good news is now because of his work being preached to the poor. Jesus didn't love John any less because of his doubts. Instead, he came alongside of John and helped him to see. After the followers leave to go back and report this message from Jesus, all the church people present start to talk poorly about John. They accuse him of being possessed by a demon, or maybe we can say that he had gone mental. But Jesus has none of it. After listening to John's doubts, sending the message that John needed to hear, he goes and tells all the others who are questioning John that John is the greatest man who has ever lived. It's in Matthew 11, 11. Even this doubter, this one who has done so much for God's mission but still has his doubts, is the greatest who ever lived. Jesus defends him in his moments of doubts. Jesus defended the one questioning. Jesus shows love and he shows mercy. 
Friends, you haven't done anything worse than Judas. If you've questioned God or if you have made questions in moments of despair and wondered what God was actually up to, so did this great preparer of the way. Though we have questioned, though we have sinned, God's love is still here for us. God's grace has covered us in our baptism. We have been saturated through the waters of baptism by his grace, his love, and his forgiveness. Just like those sent back to John, we have been sent out in the world to tell the good news, to take our waters of baptism and to leave puddles everywhere that we go so that the world might experience the same hope that we have experienced. Whether that's in a classroom, a doctor's office, a boardroom, or an office, wherever you find yourself daily, you've been called to take on the mission and to share the love and reconciling work of God. Don't ever let your waters of baptism grow dry. Remember that you are a much-loved child of God. Remember what you've been called to. Remember the love you are called to share. Remember the walls you've been called to break down. Remember the oppressed you've been called to help set free. Friends, remember your baptism. Let's pray. God, we know that our baptism is so much more for us than a simple act that is a one-time ritual. Help us to remember that it is a lifelong calling. You have washed us with the waters of baptism to be more for you. Help equip us, God, today and every day to be better disciples of you. Help us to be all you've called us to be. And God, when we mess up, remind us of your grace that continues to wash over us each day. Lord, thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for our baptism. Amen.